This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 24th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The individual market for health insurance is under enormous pressure. Eliminating the cost drivers of guaranteed issue and community rating are essentially non-starters. So what can states do to both comply with the rules of Obamacare and still innovate? Ray Hederman of the Buckeye Institute offered his thoughts at the State Policy Network annual meeting in San Antonio. There are a lot of... Uh, ideas floating around out there for states to try to work within the confines of the letter of the Affordable Care Act. And there are some of these ideas quite likely are non-starters, and yet we're still hearing about them a lot. What are some of the ideas that we're hearing about with respect to innovation, be it in Medicaid or with respect to the Affordable Care Act, that we shouldn't hear about anymore because they're dead on arrival. Well, you know, Caleb, I think it's interesting because, you know, as the federal government basically uh, fell apart in its efforts to repeal the ACA, you've seen a lot of states saying, you know what, our insurance markets are falling apart. What can we do to basically uh, try to protect our people, making sure they can get access to affordable insurance? And so you see a lot of states saying, let's push and basically try to say, uh, we're going to offer a new form of insurance that may not meet all the requirements of the ACA. And, you know, the text of the ACA has a thing called Section, 32, Section 1332, State Innovation Waivers. And basically what these uh, waivers say, it, you can offer a new insurance product as long as you kind of meet four guide rails. And the guide rails are, you know, you need to cover roughly a comparable number of people. You need to offer roughly a, a comparable benefit package at a roughly a comparable cost. And you can increase the deficit to the federal government. But, you know, as much as the Affordable Care Act was poorly written, there's a lot of opportunity for states to get inventive to try to uh, better their insurance markets using these innovation waivers. And what we've seen is a lot of states now, over 20 states, are now considering these waivers, some to do bad things, some to take a look, in my opinion, which is, say, uh, Vermont was looking at a 1332 to go with a single-payer system. But lately we've been seeing some of the red states, uh, notably Oklahoma and Iowa, trying to use these waivers to rebuild their individual markets and asking the federal government saying, hey, we need to be able to do this because we've so many people have lost their insurance companies. And so I think that driving force of more and more states trying to use the waiver mechanism to get out from underneath the Medicaid program, the Affordable Care Act, is going to be a growing trend. So what are, with specific respect to trying to rebuild markets for private health insurance. You mentioned the individual market, but uh, there are several things that states could do that probably would be non-starters from if you're an insurance company. You know, I think, you know, you asked basically what's verboten right now. I think a lot of states would love to get rid of the two biggest drivers of uh, higher insurance premiums, right? The guaranteed issue community rating. Uh, that's something that basically is not allowed uh, by federal statute. So I think that would kind of fall uh, in the non-starter bucket. What states are doing, I think, is basically they're talking and saying, can we bring back in some healthy people? Because what's happened is, Obamacare gives highly generous subsidies to low-income people. And what happens is these people sign up for insurance, but because a lot of these people uh, uh, have basically had you know, health needs, the costs have been higher, and because premiums have gone up, 
So many middle-class people, 300% of poverty, have dropped out of the insurance market. So insurers would love to have a product that could basically be more affordable to middle-class families. So have these people that used to be insured be able to purchase insurance products again. And that's what a state like Ohio is doing. I mean, uh, Iowa is doing is basically saying, can we give people a flat tax credit to encourage people to be prudent shoppers? Because the idea of being a flat credit can encourage people to buy an insurance product that's more affordable as compared to the current system, whereas the ACA has a, a, a subsidy that provides a percentage of the cost of the premium, which means if you're receiving an ACA subsidy and you're low enough income, you don't really care if the premium is going up $10,000 because you're only paying pennies on the dollar. But a flat tax credit forces people to be more smart shoppers. You know, we've seen that through a lot of our research with health savings accounts. All right. So one other thing that, uh, and I'm not sure, maybe you can shed some light on this. Uh, High-risk pools in states uh, have always uh, seemed to be something that both insurance companies and fans of markets could actually get behind. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we've actually have seen already. One of these 1332 waivers approved by the federal government. I think the question is— Explain how high-risk pools work. Yeah, so what high-risk pools are is basically saying, uh, we know in insurance practice, most of the cost of insurance is going to be held by the sickest people. You know, we kind of consider high risk. And the idea is, can we develop a mechanism— that can help keep premiums lower by providing uh, extra payments to companies that get a mix of high-risk individuals. And so the idea, for example, from the House bill was the federal government would help subsidize states that wanted to roll back a lot of the ACA to help give them money to help separate some of these high-risk pools. And when they're removed from the insurance markets, premiums fall down. And so part of the mechanism that we're seeing is discussions of how to pay for it. Could it be an overall tax on insurance companies? So you create a pool of money that can then be used to distribute to offset these high costs. And again, we've seen states basically from red states to blue states come together on this concept, and it has actually been approved by the federal government in Alaska. And we've seen Minnesota trying to do the same thing because their individual market has completely fallen apart. And so that, I think, is something that a lot of states are strongly considering doing to make insurance more affordable. I've spoken about this with some other folks uh, here at this event, and it strikes me that the core of the problem with Medicaid is that it is a federal match, and that if if that federal match were not the case, if it were turned into a straight appropriation, that a whole lot of the perversions that go on in state capitals in order to maximize that match simply go away. Yeah, you know, what we call the the FMAP, right? There's a federal matching rate on Medicaid really is the original sin. Uh, and it's even made more perverse, you know, by the Affordable Care Act. So, you know, every state gets a slightly different FMAP rate, you know, depending on the wealth of that state. Uh, so Ohio, you know, the federal government pays roughly two-thirds of our Medicaid program. But, you know, with the expansion population, instead of Ohio getting, the, you know, the traditional roughly two-thirds, we were getting 100%, 95%. Of the newly eligible. Of the newly eligible population. And so what we've seen is that, you know, why get two, you know, why get 66 cents on the dollar when you can get 100 cents? And so we've seen, you know, basically the state reclassify people into the expansion population. And so states are trying to game the system to get more money from the federal government. And again, because the federal government picks up so much of this tab, States have incentives, basically, to spend more on Medicaid because they're not bearing the cost, right? We're not asking state taxpayers to pick up the full freight of Medicaid because we can shift it to the federal government. And and they face incentives to get people out of the individual market. 
Uh, absolutely, right? Because you take a look at like, you know, the value of the subsidy, taking a look there versus how much the federal government is paying again for the expansion population. And so the Medicaid program has set up an incentive for states to basically be over generous with the program to get as much money as they can out of Washington. And if you think about it, your state officials are not held to the same standards and accountability because they're not asking taxpayers to pay the full cost of the program. So it seems like whatever innovation a state might want to do with respect to these 1115 uh, innovations that they want to get involved in with, with Medicaid has to more than overwhelm the basic incentive that state lawmakers and policymakers face with a federal match. Like the, the, the incentive to save money is strongly muted again by that fact that it's a federal match. So, so right. And the problem is, you know, you take a look at it from a state lawmaker's perspective, right? If you cut a dollar from the Medicaid program, you know, you're really only cutting, you know, a, a, a 30 cents or 35 cents from your state budget. And so, you know, you can go through, as we know, politicians are loath to cut any programs. And so for Medicaid, again, but due to the cost, rent, uh, uh, the cost problem, you know, politicians will endure a lot of pain, but at the end of the day, it doesn't look like their budget has changed as much. So there needs to be kind of a two-part uh, step solution. You know, one is we need to see Congress basically fixing this FMAP problem. And, you know, Speaker Paul Ryan has talked about this, and he said that, you know what, this ex- uh, match rate, especially for the expansion population, is going to come down. And, you know, and President Barack Obama, when he was president, one of his budgets actually took a look at lowering that match rate because it's so costly to the federal taxpayer dollars. So when we're talking to state officials, you know, we're letting them know that you're not going to keep getting the sweetheart deal from the federal government because the feds can't afford it. So one thing I think we'll see is we'll continue to see movement in Congress to reduce the Medicaid burden at the federal level. On the other spectrum, you do want to see states pushing together on these 1115. 1115 is a waiver inside the Medicaid program that basically allows states to seek innovative ways to offer care. And I do think we want to see states experimenting, pushing the envelope, but basically saying, how can we enshrine some market-based principles into the Medicaid program, not just to reduce taxpayer uh, 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 burden, but also to sit there and say, can we help transition people off Medicaid into private coverage? So, for example, what states have been doing is uh, creating uh, health savings accounts, trying inside the Medicaid program, uh, trying to create cost sharing, just like you know, you, I pay a premium for my health insurance in the private market have some type of cost-sharing payment provision for Medicaid because you want to get them used to paying premiums as they transition to the private market, and you also want them to have a little skin in the game. Ray Hederman is Executive Vice President of the Buckeye Institute in Ohio. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in San Antonio. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>